Thank you for joining Life Builders Church in Rangbar. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you. Good morning, everybody. How many people have ACDC in their room waking them up in the morning? No, nobody's shouting out your name. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, that video. Oh, dear. Brian, he had a good wake up. <laughs> um, this morning, I wanted to talk about um, God being powerful. That's been on my heart. Um, and I've been, last time I talked to you guys um, and had a message, I talked about hiking and the longest hike in the world being some ridiculous number of kilometers, like 20,000 or something. Um, and how good it is just to get out in nature and things like that. But as much as I think it'd be great to um, just meander around through the woods or um, through the snow or whatever and go on a long hike, um, something that has fascinated me a lot more and for a lot longer is big wave surfing. So thumbs up if you've read or watched videos or know anything about that. There's a few people. So th these guys, they just fascinate me. Um, and I'll look up some of the things I've written here. Um, cause I, I love the beach. I love it whether it's sunny or cold and wet and rainy. I don't really care about what the weather is like. I love it. I used to go on Saturdays with a group of friends and we'd go bodyboarding in whatever was at the beach that day, whatever surf was going on. We used to play a game with, um, shore break waves, which basically crash straight onto the sand or on very shallow water, like six inches or eight inches deep water. Um, <laughs> and the game was that I'd have to call out my friend's name or if they called my name, whoever's name got called out, you had to catch that wave and it didn't matter what it was like. So you couldn't pull out of it. And basically we were very well acquainted with the sand. <laughs> there was a lots of crashing on the sand and yeah, for people who don't like sand, it's not a good game. There's sand all through your rash shirt, through your shorts, through your flippers, through your hair, in your eyes. It goes everywhere. It used to be a fun game. But there's, um, there's these guys, you know, like this image is showing. Um, there's no sand beneath waves like that. Um, not until you go a long way down. Um, and there's a town, I don't know if you've heard of it, in Portugal called Nazaré or Nazé. It's sort of spelt Nazé, but Nazaré, I think it's pronounced. Uh, as, until 2010, nobody had really heard of this place. Um, and then one guy surfed waves that kind of size. And since then, um, everybody worldwide in the surfing world knows that that is the biggest wave in the world to surf. Um, so instead of, I mean, I've, I've been in 10 foot surf before and that's reasonably big for me. Um, but these waves at Nazare, they are peaking out at 80 feet. So that's 24 meters of wave. So that's a lot of water moving. And some of these guys, they're getting up to 80 kilometers an hour after being towed behind a 300 horsepower jet ski just to catch the wave and going down the wave. Um, if you watch a few videos, you'll see well, that guy there, he's right at the bottom of that wave. But at Nazare, often they'll only stay up near the top. They don't even make it all the way down to the bottom because obviously getting clobbered by something like that, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not very good for one's health. Um, so they can get up to pretty quick speeds. Um, so that's roughly, um, 24 meters is roughly the height five of a five or six story building. That's how high we're talking about here. And if you're interested or a bit of a nerd like me, um, you can look up what weight is behind the wave because often the waves can be really tall, but sometimes they can be very short, but very, very thick or fat. Um, so the lip that rolls over the top, if you had a 10 meter wave, 
the lip that rolls over the top of the wave, if it was only about 10 to 12 meters long, the section that rolled over, inside that lip is a weight of about 410 tons. So that gives you an idea. Once you start talking 24 meters of wave, that gives you an idea what kind of weight of water is on top of you if you bail or get dumped or rolled over. Um, but at this kind of level, that guy there, if he fell off further up the wave, if you watch them, basically they're little skimming rocks across the surface of the water until the wave eats them up, basically, because they're going so fast. So the surfers that ride these kind of waves are not, not your average beach bums, you know. You, you have this image in your head of people that surf. They live in a van, which is really grubby with all their stuff in it, you know. Like they find a spare thong on the beach and they take it and they wear that. So their thongs are always mismatched. I know people that live like this and that's that image of surfing. You know, they don't work. They just live on the doll and they travel around doing whatever they want. Um, but these people at that level, they train really, really, really hard. They're very, very fit. They're very strong. Um, they train their minds. They have to have uh, mental training as well. So they don't panic when they get rolled over by the wave. They have to know how their body is working so if they're pushed under really deep in the water they have to know at what point or what levels their body is starting to miss oxygen uh, one site that i said read um, the guy had written that if you get dumped by a wave that size needing oxygen is a secondary issue <laughs> because it's just physically torturous on your body being pushed and pulled in so many different directions so it's not just a game um, the guy that first rode Nazare um, in 2010, um, Garrett McNamara, he studied those waves all winter with the help of the Navy before he even rode one. So that's the kind of level we're at. You know, that's, it's a serious thing for these guys to go out there. It's not a game. It's not a quick dip in a wave. You don't just rock up and do it. Um, you have to train to be able to deal with waves that size. There's courses you can do on how to communicate with jet ski riders um, and all this kind of thing as well. They wear vests that have little gas cylinders in them. So they, if they pull a cord, it inflates and they float to the top. Um, often they'll wear inflatable vests anyway. So if they're unconscious, they'll just they'll rise to the surface and hopefully the jet ski riders can see them and pull them out. So there's a real sense of just how fine the line is between life and death on these kind of things, um, the guys that go out and ride them. And I think what fascinates me the most is that there are people that love to live walking that line. They live for it. They search all over the world for waves that are bigger, waves that are bit heavier. Um, and often I think it's more about the Photoshop than actually um, riding the wave, but <laughs> they seem to get a thrill out of walking that line between life and death. Now, if we switch our train of thought to Exodus, the Israelites, not so much those people that liked the line between life and death, I don't think. If you read how they left Egypt in the first place um, and they came against their first, very first obstacle, nothing else was in the way until they reached that river and the Egyptians were coming up behind them and straight away they were complaining. They were arguing, they were grumbling. Um, it wasn't <laughs> probably what they signed up for. So I don't think they were the kind of people that enjoyed charging into really, really big waves. Um, I think they, were, they came across as more timid than that, I think. Uh, but I think we have to remember that they had 400 years of slavery under their belts. That's a few generations of people that had lived in slavery. And if you live a certain way or think a certain way for a long period of time, um, you can get stuck in that mindset and it's hard to move away from that. 
So I wondered to myself, um, what, what did their freedom in their minds, what did freedom even look like? Because they, the people that were escaping probably had never had freedom. They'd been slaves their entire life and their parents as well, probably. So when Moses approached them all and said, hey, let's get out, <laughs> what were they thinking would happen? What, what picture did they have in their minds that that freedom would be? I don't think they really fully understood what they're up against uh, when they left Egypt because I don't think they could probably even imagine what that was like because they'd lived in slavery for so long. I certainly think they didn't, didn't really wish upon themselves and their freedom that they would be mowed down by the Egyptian army. So if we read in Exodus 14, uh, verses 19 to 21, then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. So God, who was at the front, God was leading them up to this point. He was leading them to where they had to go. And when they were threatened from behind, he switched to the rear to become their guard. Um, but at the same time, he blew a dry wind all night to dry the ground so that they could walk on it. So he went from guide to rear guard to protect Israel. And all night long, God provided light for Israel, but darkness to the Egyptians. Can you even imagine what that was like? That's pretty strange, I think. And I wondered, these Egyptian army people that were coming, I imagine, weren't the intern people that they sent out to catch the Israelites. You know, they weren't that level. They would have been highly skilled, trained warriors. Um, and a bit of darkness probably didn't really scare them that much. They would have travelled at night before to other wars. You know, they would have hunted people at night for sure. And here's this darkness where they can't, they couldn't get to the other side of the darkness all night long for some reason. And I think that's interesting to think about because there's a level of, darkness there that's beyond our comprehension that's not just black darkness that's something else going on god was at work confusing them and driving them around in circles or something something prevented them from getting through that darkness to the israelites and it's kind of like um for the israelites it's kind of the, like the big wave surfing idea in front of them is life and behind them is death you know they have they have no other option. They're already on the wave. And to try and ditch now and go back to Egypt would be certain death. But at the same time, there's something in front of them that they couldn't get past. And I think in our day-to-day -day life, I think we forget or maybe um, we reduce, not so much forget, but we reduce who God is. We dumb him down um, to our own earthly level. We confine him into a box um, that's often smaller than our own circumstances. In a sense, we have the narrow mindset of a slave, I think, some days where we have been trained by our parents, perhaps, or our parents' parents. Um, we've lived an earthly life um, and we, we sort of get stuck in thinking like the Israelites were thinking, you know, we have no way out. Um, we get caught in that. We get to the point where we can't really even imagine the freedom that we're offered in Jesus um, because we're probably a lot like Israel were, just thinking, the same lines that we've been thinking for generations. 
But Jesus has definitely set us free. And we're definitely part of the kingdom of God. So the darkness has no place even near us, let alone within us, because we have the Holy Spirit within us and darkness and light don't exist in the same space. So we have Jesus and we are free if we've accepted Jesus into our hearts. So he gives us light over all our circumstances while blocking out the darkness and keeping the enemy at bay. But Israel's circumstances, we have to remember, were still the same. So if they had recognized that God was with them, if they had fully trusted in God, their circumstance was still very much the same. They still had people trying to run them down with chariots and they still had something to cross that they couldn't cross. And sometimes our circumstances aren't great. Sometimes um, we know God is there, but sometimes the circumstance doesn't change and it doesn't change for a long time. Yet God still stands for us as he stood for Israel. He still protects us. Um, and he still has a plan for each of us, just as he did for Israel. If we continue reading in Exodus 14, verses 22 to 25, And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So this is what I was mentioned before in the testimony time. This is um, where I started to put myself in their position. So the waters were parted. The water was a wall on both sides. And the ground was dry for them to walk on where water had completely covered it just yesterday. A pillar of cloud and fire was giving light to them all night so that they could keep moving forward while the army behind them was in darkness. So this is some pretty amazing stuff, yeah? This is pretty extraordinary. I don't know about your day-to-day -day kind of living, but this doesn't register on my day-to-day. -day. This doesn't happen to me, you know? And I, don't, I very much doubt that Israel had experienced any of those things. So what thoughts would be running through their heads? Do you think they were cheering as they were waiting for the waters to be parted or what God would do? Do you think they were laughing and just relaxed because God would sort it out and they'd be right because he was in control? And like I mentioned in the testimony times, how many of those people had kids? Do kids understand armies running them down? or walls of water on each side or pillars of fire or cloud you know this is i think it would have been really really intimidating what sounds were going on fire by itself can be quite a scary sound let alone inside a pillar of cloud i think there would have been a lot of people that were quite literally just freaking out because they didn't know what was going to happen and what were all these things that were all happening at the same time and i ask these questions because i want you to put yourself there i want you to put yourself walking between walls of water with the army coming up behind you with a pillar of fire and cloud giving light and how much of a wind it was required to even dry the ground you know all these things are added into the mix and i think it's it comes across to me as quite chaotic um, so i want you to try and put yourself in israel's shoes 
Because <clears throat> I think sometimes we think to ourselves, well, we've probably all heard this story at, at Sunday school at some point, you know, if we went to Sunday school as children, this story's been told almost to death, to be honest, so many times. It's such a great story of God's power and God rescuing his people. Um, so we get to the point where we read these verses and we're like, yeah, yeah, God was in a pillar of fire. Yeah, yeah, the water was parted. Yeah, yeah, the army all drowned. And then we yawn and then we kind of move on with life. But it's not really something to be glossed over, is it? I think to myself, how great, how truly great is our God? How great is he to do these things, to orchestrate this and to put it in place? How great is he to part water like that and dry ground and provide light and darkness? I don't think Israel grasped what was going on or what was happening. I don't think they even knew exactly where they were traveling to, to be honest, most of them. Yet God was with them. And we do a similar thing to Israel we look at what's happening around us. We don't perceive or understand the bigger picture. And we can be filled with worry or fear or despair or anger even. When the whole time, the whole time God is with us. The very same God who stood for Israel and protected them in a pillar of fire and cloud is with us every day. The exact same God. And this is why I think we need to understand this scene. Because if we can put ourselves there, then God becomes a lot bigger than just a Sunday school story, doesn't he? We continue with Exodus 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So this is a really, this fascinates me. Israel saw the power of the Lord used against the Egyptians and they feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord. How many of you, thumbs up, how many of you would love to see the power of the Lord at work? Yes. See, we love that. We like that side of things, yeah? We want to see Egyptians rolled over in the water. Well, probably not today, something like that, but we want to see God's power at work. It's a bit, it's pretty violent really when you think about it, isn't it? It's um, not quite good. I mean, this, we don't let our kids watch movies like that, you know, and then how many people just idly walked past, how many Egyptians in the mud all drowned. It's pretty, uh, it's a bit disturbing at that level. But we all wish we could see the power of God at work, see his might, you know, see, I'd love to see a pillar of cloud and fire, you know, God protecting me like that during the day. I would love to be able to see that. And I think for me, and maybe for you as well, I think maybe I, my faith would be bigger if I could see the power of God like that. And sometimes I've thought I'd be more, more inclined to faithfully do the things in God's word more willingly if I'd seen God's power working like that. If I could just see God's power at work in all of his might, then perhaps I'd believe in him or do the things that i'm supposed to do you know i think maybe you've had those thoughts before where we need god to act before we step out in faith but are we willing to trust him enough to leave where we are now 
and set out to travel to a place that we don't know and then be trapped between something that is humanly impossible to get past while at the same time coming up behind us is something that we can't defeat either. Because that's where Israel were and that's why God worked. Because they had already begun the walk. They were already on the path. God's power came into play through faith and because he loved his people. So how much do you really want to see the power of God? Or maybe like I think to myself sometimes, maybe it's more of a selfish motive where if God works, then I will. There's some people in the world that take hold of a tow rope behind a 300 horsepower jet ski. They stand up and they're propelled onto a wave that's more than 10 times their height and could easily snap every bone in their body if they landed the wrong way. How many of those people do you think put their trust in God before they stand up on that surfboard? Or how many trust in their own ability, their own training? I want to ask you this morning, who do you trust? Who do you tremble before when you acknowledge their power? Psalm 114 verses 7 to 8 says, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Our God is truly powerful. He really is. If you listen to Todd White speak on experiencing God, he says that he's experienced God twice and he, it's too scary and he'd rather not. That's what he says. He doesn't want to experience that all day, every day because it's too much. He fears for his life, he says, when he experiences God in those ways. He simply acknowledges that God is with him and he goes through his life living like that. And if you read the Bible and you look at all the people that angels came and visited or God met or they saw a vision of the Son of Man, most of those people fell on their face. Most of those people did that. They were fearing for their life. Even people like the parents of Samson, the angel met them and then afterwards they realized it was an angel. Then they were fearful because they suddenly realized the weightiness of what they had experienced. As human beings, if we meet God, he is on a different level. He is powerful, truly powerful. Who do you trust? Is your God not quite as big as your circumstances? Or is he so powerful that you can't even really imagine how powerful? Israel was in a tight spot, but God brought them through, through that, didn't he? And during that adventure, they had grumbled against Moses and complained against God. Yet after all was said and done, when they're on the other side and the Egyptian army had been defeated and they'd all passed over on dry ground, then they worshipped God. They praised him with joy. If we read from Exodus 15, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And if you joined in our um, prayer meeting on Wednesday night, you would have had a really great song experience, <laughs> courtesy of Carla. Um, has his exact words in it. 
Um, and you have to you have to kind of really enjoy banjo to enjoy the song a lot, but uh, it's pretty fun at the same time. You know, it's very honky tonk, very. Um, it's a song of joy. Like it does make you feel like getting up and doing a jig. You know, that's how it felt that song. And I think Israel uh, were thinking that they wanted to dance. You know, the, their God, their powerful God, had fought for them and rescued them from two things which were impossible for them to get past impossible for them to f- defeat and i think they would have danced and i think they would have worshipped from their hearts and been so so grateful for god to rescue them in that way and i think maybe we should be worshiping god more and more as well you know we get through each some days just making it through the day is worth dancing and worshiping god and praising god you know some days are literally very very hard for us um, it may not be on the same scale as pillars of fire and cloud and things, um, Egyptian armies chasing you down the street, but it's still very hard some days. Um, and I think we need to pause and we need to remember that our God, he protects us throughout the day. There are things trying to get at us all day that we don't see and we can't understand. And I think God goes before us and behind us. He leads us. And at the same time, he is behind us, protecting us from these things that are trying to track us down. And in keeping with the idea of water, thumbs up if you've seen the most recent Jumanji movie. The one where they go back into the game because that crazy guy fixes that old console. (laughs) I don't know if if you've seen that movie or not. It's worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Um, If you haven't seen it, I'll just explain briefly that Jumanji is a game. It's a uh, computed game. And when you start to play it, you get sucked into the game and you become a character in the game. Okay, and there's this, again, the threat of life or death because you have a certain number of lives in the game and nobody's really sure what happens when your last life expires, whether you die in real life or whether you only die in the game. Um, it's quite an interesting concept. And in this, the last movie, they had this water where the characters kind of came into the game and they, they weren't the character that they thought they would be or wanted to be. And they can jump into this water and all the players switch characters. Um, So they can take on different strengths and weaknesses, essentially. So if they tap their chest in the game, they come up with a little board pops up in midair showing their strengths and weaknesses. So one guy has a weakness of cake, right? So when he eats cake, he literally explodes. It is a pretty serious weakness. I would struggle with that. That's not good. (laughs) I like my cake. So they have these strengths and weaknesses. So if zoology is one of your strengths in the game, Even if you knew nothing about animals whatsoever before you went into the game, all of a sudden you're a genius at zoology, right? That's the way it kind of works. Um, And it's an interesting concept because in the game, they have this idea that one of my strengths is karate. So therefore I can do karate, even though I have no idea what that is. So they walk into situations and they apply this fearlessness because it's written on their board that it's one of their strengths. They have this strength because they are that character, even though in real life, they are nothing like that at all. So they can trust and know what they'll need to do will just come to them in any situation if they have that strength. If we read in Galatians 2, verse 20, we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. And in Colossians 1, 27 and 29, to them, the saints, God chose to make known 
How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Christ, if you've chosen Christ as your Lord and Saviour, he lives in you, inside of you. Paul says that he proclaims Christ, warning and teaching everyone. He toils for that, struggling with all God's energy that works powerfully within him. Like Jumanji, as earthly beings, we can't do many spiritual things. But as saints, as people of God who have Christ within us, in the form of the Holy Spirit, that's a whole other level. Like the characters in the Jumanji game, we have this strength inside of us and we can walk into situations 100% confident that our God will supply what we need and he will do the work through us in his strength. It's not about who we are in an earthly sense. It's about who we are in God's kingdom. Our weaknesses become his strength. Our wisdom becomes foolish and his wisdom shines through us. Our fragile and fickle human hearts become mighty, empowered by the almighty creator as he works powerfully within us. By ourselves, we may not be willing to be towed into a 24-meter high wave, but with God urging us on and working within us, what can stand in our way? No weapon formed against us shall prosper. I have a whole bunch of verses on this next slide here. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Who is it that you trust? Is God bigger than your circumstances, bigger than your pain, bigger than your issues or your problems, bigger than that wave that threatens to crush you, bigger than that sea that you can't cross, bigger than that army behind you, hunting you down, trying to break you and cause you to fear. If we don't lean on our own understanding, what are we supposed to lean on? We're supposed to lean on God. And why do you think that is? Why do you think we shouldn't lean on our own understanding? Perhaps our perspective is too small as earthly beings. Maybe our grasp on the situations we find ourselves in, maybe that, that perspective we have on that situation is filled with selfish motives. Maybe it's simply because we don't fully understand God's plan, whereas God understands his own plan. And in that sense, we can lean on his understanding of his plan because he is literally the one that knows his plan, <laughs> not us. Sometimes we get glimpses of that and God leads us in certain directions, but we see the next step or maybe the two or three steps ahead. But much more than that, we don't know. God knows where he's leading us to. We have to trust. We have to trust that he knows that he can and that he will, that he is good and faithful and so willing to give more grace to us. His mercies are new every morning. He will wipe every tear from your eyes and you will be his and God himself will be with you and be your God. 
promise after promise after promise is given to us. We need to claim them. We need to claim them in the name of Jesus Christ and live them out. So I want to ask you this morning for this last slide. Who do you put your trust in? Is it yourself? Or do you really trust in God, who is so much more powerful than we think about day to day? Do you reduce God to something less than your circumstances so that in your mind, God can't really solve what you're going through? Is that something that you do? This week, what can you do to start changing your mindset? What does your freedom in Christ look like to you in your mind and in your heart? How powerful is your God? I want us just to take a minute now and to pray, uh, just to pause and ask God to show us something that we can do this coming week, uh, just so that we can align, I guess, our thinking more with his word, where he says to be strong and courageous for he is with us, to not fear because he has not given us a spirit of fear. Why don't we just take a minute um, and just to pray over those things and ask God what we should do this coming week um, to, I guess, be reminded of who he really is and who we are in him. Heavenly Father, I thank you <clears throat> for who you are. God, you are so great, so mighty, so powerful, God. Forgive us, God, for glossing over that when we read your word and the stories we read, God, about the majestic and mighty things that you've done. Even creation, God, we can't fully grasp how that came about or the power that's behind being able to create things from nothing. God, we don't, we don't understand. Um, God, give us a bigger perception on the things that are happening in, happening in our life. Help us to perceive, God, the forces of darkness that are at work trying to pull us apart from you, to separate us from you. God, these things try to hunt us down each and every day and we get wrapped up in just living our lives and doing earthly things. God, we get busy and we forget sometimes, God, that you are right there with us. The creator of the universe is right there with us. The one who placed the stars in the sky and gave them all their names. God, you are that God and you are with us each and every day. And there's things, God, that we fear and things that we shy away from and things where we think that's not me or that's not my ministry or that's not my purpose. God, there's just so much more scope when we can see who you are, how much love you have, how much grace you have to give us. God, remind us this coming week how powerful you are. Remind us, God, that we need to stand up and charge into the fray, to charge into the battle and be men and women that are sold out to you so that other people can see your glory and can come to you and join in your kingdom, God. Help us to support each other at the same time, God. These people that surf these waves, God, they're a, they're a tight community. They help each other be safe. They cheer each other on. They fear for each other when they fall off. God, help us to be more like that as Christians. Help us to stand beside each other and cheer each other on. Cheer people into situations where they need courage and fear for people that seem to have dropped off or fallen away or become timid. God, help us to remember who you are and who we are in you. Give us a real sense of your power and your might and your love this coming week, I pray, God, and help us to be the people that you have designed us to be. 
help us to live out the plan and the purpose that you have given us to be living in and the goal that you have for us at the end of our lives, God. Help us to do these things, God, because you love us. Thank you for being faithful, God, and thank you for um, your mercy that you give us every day as we stumble and fall and try and work things out. God, I pray that you would forgive us and help us to stand up again um, and to keep moving on with you. Thank you, God, for these words from your word this morning and um, teach us, God, how to do it better this coming week. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We pray you've enjoyed this message from Life Builders Church in Rainbow. For more information about our church, please go to our website at www.lifebuilderschurch.org.au. Until next time, God bless.